And I just want to give you a report that uh, Senyo and Kim are married. Amen. And I just want to encourage everyone to... uh, to look at the, uh, the website, and you'll be able to see pictures as they get posted. But uh, the venue was just packed, and the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, I think Senyu and Krim, uh, uh, Kim both twice sort of giggled themselves, uh, you know, into shock, and cried themselves into shock uh, as the uh, uh, ceremony was going on. It was really awesome to watch. One of the privileges of being the minister is you get to stand about six inches away from these people's faces. While they're looking into each other's eyes, and uh, wow, it was it was great. I I was encouraged. Uh, it was also Tammy's and my 28th wedding anniversary yesterday. Yeah, so that was a that was a first. I've never performed a wedding on my anniversary before, so that's that's one way to do it. And uh, definitely, I will remember uh, Senyo and Kim whenever, it, you know, every time our anniversary rolls around. Uh, that's at least one other anniversary I won't forget, uh, which is uh, encouraging. We're going to spend a little time in uh, my next series of lessons uh, looking through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, I think we're going to find a lot of encouragement. Uh, who would like a little encouragement? Okay. Uh, who would like encouragement from God? Okay, yes, you know, it's, a, it's great to be encouraged, but also to realize that God is the one that wants us to be encouraged. He's the one that's speaking to us and really trying to encourage our hearts. That's exciting. That's exciting. You know, this letter's addressed to the Hebrews, which is a kind of an interesting word, because the, word, the Hebrew word's used like it was a nation. It's it's spoken of in the scriptures like it was a people. But as far as we know, there never was any nation of Hebrews. Uh, In fact, when you really look into it and begin to think about what does this word mean, uh, it appears to come from one of the ancestors of Abraham and therefore a descendant of Noah. Somewhere between Noah and his son Shem, which was the father of all the Semitic peoples. And then you have uh, Abraham. About halfway in the middle there, you've got a guy named Eber. And what's interesting is, in the time of Eber, it says in Genesis 10.25, in the time of his life, the earth was divided. Now if you look in also the stories of Genesis 10, it's saying this is the time when God confused the tongues, the, the nations, and actually created nations. Created They only had one language up until this point. And God dispersed them by confusing them. It's called, the story is the Tower of Babel. And so, when it says that in the time of Eber, the people's, the, 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 the Tower of uh, Babel would have been built, that, that all makes sense because we have a language called Hebrew, and we have this, Abraham is called in Genesis 14, a Hebrew as if it was a nationality, but there's no record of anyone being a nationality. And, and in the Egyptian language, the word he, that sounds like Hebrew means a wanderer, which would be someone like a nomad or someone who doesn't have a place to live. And that really does describe Abraham and the people before him, the people of his generation and the next few. And then, of course, they came down into Egypt, and they still had no place to live. So they're kind of living up to that name, but eventually they would return to the promised land. And so... There's a lot we can relate to because we really are Hebrews ourselves, aren't we? I mean, this earth is not your home. 
your house is not your home. It belongs to the bank. No, I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, or it belongs to somebody else. But, but the point is, this earth isn't our home. Because even if you think it's yours, just, you know, a little newsflash, you can't keep it forever. And if you can't keep it forever, is it really yours? You know, that's the problem with this world. If you try to get eternal satisfaction out of this world, you'll be frustrated. You'll be doomed to discouragement if you think this world is all there is. Because this world will disappoint. This world will fail. This world is full of mortality and decay and weakness. And so it's really important for us to understand that though this was written actually to Jewish, Jewish disciples, and this was Jewish disciples who were still you know, calling themselves Hebrews, God's people, what's interesting is uh, it really has many lessons for us. So if you look at this letter, uh, you can tell, and, and you can read some of the details here, I don't want to get into it, but the, you can tell even when the letter, letter was written approximately, it's after Timothy was set free from prison. Well, we know from 2 Timothy, Paul's letter, Timothy hadn't been to prison yet because he was afraid to go. He was afraid of being thrown into prison. But whenever the book of Hebrews is written, from one of the details in the letter, we know Timothy's been released. So he's no longer afraid. Well, maybe he still is, but he's been and been released. So Timothy, it comes after 2 Timothy, which is Paul's last letter. And then it also speaks of the temple in Jerusalem still functioning. Well, that means it's before the destruction of Jerusalem. So it's roughly between 63 AD and 70 AD, somewhere in there, this letter to the Hebrews was written. And it, by all appearance, was written to Jewish Christians who, in becoming Christians, thought, well, this is now the kingdom of God. Everything else was just imagery. Everything else was just a shadow. We're in the kingdom now. And they were expecting, for some reason, everything to get easy. Maybe even expecting Jesus to come back and set up an earthly kingdom. I mean, these are the kind of expectations that the Jews had. But the Hebrew writer wanted them to understand something. You haven't entered the promised land yet. And as you read through the book of Hebrews, the writer is focusing on a very specific time in the history of the Jewish people. The time of them wandering in the desert. Do you ever feel like you're wandering in the desert? You know, I think there's moments where we taste heaven. There's moments where like, this is awesome! And there's just not a negative, discouraging thought in our minds. There's just this overwhelming feeling of, this is great! But then there's other moments, we go through difficulties. Things don't work out the way we expected. Uh, we've, we feel like, I've been persevering, and nothing's changing. And see, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew Christians, so they wouldn't give up. So that they would remain faithful to God. And because that's the lesson of the Old Testament. Remain faithful to God's covenant and He will give you what's promised. If you don't remain faithful, you don't receive what's promised. You don't have to be perfect to be a Jew. You know, to follow the law, you never had to be perfect. Now one of the side effects of the law is it showed you that you weren't perfect. But the law never demanded that you be perfect. That was never the intention of the law. Now, legalistic, self-righteous people, they began to take the law and try to prove their righteousness by the law, but that was never God's purpose for the law. 
God's purpose was actually to show us you can't do that. So it was a misuse of the law, not a proper use. But what's interesting is these Jewish disciples, they were discouraged. They'd gone through difficulty. Some of them had lost their property. They'd known brothers and sisters that had been put in prison and executed. And so even though they remained, you still feel a little lost. Like, what's really going on? Where's the victory? And see, the the theme of the book of Hebrews is quite simple. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, when you imagine Jesus, one of the images that comes quickly to mind is Jesus on a cross. And the Bible talks about that we will share in his sufferings. We'll share in his glory if we share in his sufferings. Because actually in the sufferings, there is a certain glory. It's in our difficulties that people really see our faith. It's when things aren't going the way we'd want them to, that people can see, what what does that person really believe? What's really in their heart? And so God allows even His people, good-hearted Christians, to go through difficulty, because in that moment they can actually show a genuine faith. And we, do you ever feel like you're going through the fire? Well, see, that's what the Scriptures talk about. Our faith is refined as we go through these difficulties. And what's our faith in? It's in Jesus Christ. Really, exactly what uh, Chris was sharing about. The center of everything we do is Jesus. So let's just, we'll dig into the... Uh, the uh, book of Hebrews now. You know, just one last comment. Whenever you look at the struggles, say, look at Eastern Europe right now. One of the problems with Eastern Europe is you have about six or seven different countries that remember Europe differently than the other countries do. In other words, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was pretty big, Hungarians remember Europe differently. We remember when Europe looked like this. Hungary was this big. You know, not this little country. There was a time when Sweden covered the area of about five modern-day countries of that area. There's a time when Germany took a pretty big piece of Europe. Uh, Russia's kind of come and gone, but it's it's had some big pieces. You know, you know what I'm saying. And it's funny how people start to think, well, this is our territory. You know, maybe it's most clearly represented by the United States. It's our territory. Well, talk to the Indians. You know, and whenever Americans get really down on Russians about what's going on in Chechnya, they go, well, what's different than what we're doing than what you did to the American Indians? And the point is, of course, you know, we all have a view of things. And most of the time it's, it's viewed at when I was the strongest, the most powerful, had the most influence, that's the way it should be. Well, as we all learned about strength, at least, we all grow older, right? And, you know, this is something that comes with age. Uh, You're not quite as youthful and energetic as you were at one point, but that's part of life. It's not true, George? No, it's true. You know, but there are exceptions, yes. But, you know, the point is this. We're all living in a world where we've got to accept the world we live in right now. 
And part of the problem we have with so many conflicts around the world is about boundaries and possessions and people defining everything. Well, I'm saying this because when the Jews think about their history, there were two kings in particular that they thought about. King David and King Saul. And in the reigns of David and Saul, which was about 80 years if you put them back to back, it's a a pretty good long time, that's when Israel owned its biggest territory. That's when Israel had its most powerful moments. I mean, queens and kings were coming to Jerusalem to visit Israel. These are the glory days. I think it's quite important that the Hebrew writer didn't choose this time period. He didn't choose the glory days. He chose the leading of God through the desert. He chose that time to help them see God's plan. You know, the glory days for us in that same analogy, that's heaven. Heaven sound pretty good? It does, doesn't it? And see, we're on our way there, but right now we're going through the wilderness. God's with us, as He was with the Israelites, but we are on a journey and there are difficulties. So we're just going to look here in uh, chapter 1. We'll pick this up in verse 1. It says, In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven, Wow. I mean, this is a description of Jesus. You know, in the past, God spoke through prophets, which are just ordinary human beings like us, people that have been born to ordinary parents. Maybe even many of them had a profession. God called them into the prophetic ministry, and they received a revelation from God, and they gave it, but they were still just human beings. And they had flaws. And we know from the Scriptures, wherever we have any length of of, uh, detail about any prophet's life, we'll see that they made mistakes. Jesus is the only hero who was perfect. Everybody else was clearly sinful. And that really makes Jesus different. But you know, the the uh, Jewish people, they, they really revered their prophets. And so they would long for the days of the prophet. Wouldn't it be great to have a prophet now, today? And what the Hebrew writer is saying is, you know, that's the way God worked before, but something amazing has happened. Now God has sent His Son. So now we're being, the truth is being revealed to us through the Son of God, who, though He was a man in the flesh, was the exact representation of of God. When you look to Jesus, when you read about Jesus, you're reading about God. When you get to know Jesus, you get to know God. And Jesus said this to his disciples. They said, show us the Father. He said, I don't need to show you the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. As well as we know Jesus, we know God. What an amazing statement that is for us. That we can know God intimately. As we get to know Jesus. Jesus was greater than any prophet. 
You know, in chapter 1, it goes on to compare Jesus to the angels. And I don't know that for us that means so much. I don't think any of us is expecting an angel to talk to us. Uh, The angels were busy in the Old Testament times, sometimes appearing to the prophets, sometimes delivering a message from God. But in the first century, there was a little bit of an attraction, even an obsession with angels. And if somebody could claim that an angel spoke to them, then people were like, wow, what did he say? And I think the same thing works today when people claim to do miracles. If someone's claiming to do a miracle, you're like, well, what's that person, what they do? What does it mean? What are they saying? It gets your attention. And so Jesus is described here as greater than any angel. Let's read it. Let's pick it up in verse 4. It says, So Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Okay, we just had our Christmas time, you know, in in the calendar year. And there's part of that story. The angels praise. Their praise was so loud, it was visible on earth when Jesus came in the flesh. It says, in speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. Your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, will set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They'll all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? You know, I don't think any of us are looking for angels. It's not really something that's in our mind. Do we realize that Jesus in the flesh was greater than any, any angel? That he was chosen by God to give a message And the thing we'll see through the gospel, I mean, sorry, through the letter of Hebrews, Jesus wasn't just the messenger, he was the message. He wasn't just the priest, he was the sacrifice. You know, everyone else would come and speak a message, but it wasn't their message. It was a message from God through them. Jesus was the message. So much more than any angel. So he was greater. He had a relationship to God. The angels worshipped him. And the angels are servants. Whereas the Son was always predicted to be the king forever. And so it's amazing if you look at these scriptures that have been quoted. If you go back to Psalm 45, it talks, it's a kingly psalm. It's talking about, a, it sounds like it's talking about a man. But it says that you will inherit an eternal throne and scepter. What man can inherit an eternal throne? You have to be eternal 
to have an eternal throne. And so this was the promise. And Jesus fulfilled it. Psalm 102 really sounds just like it's talking about God. But the author is saying he's really talking about Jesus. Of course, who is God? And Jesus will be recognized as the creator and again, eternal. And to what angel did God ever say, come sit at my right hand? You know, it made that comment back in verse, in verse 3. That after he provided purification for sins, he sat down right at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know, in the temple there were no chairs. If you went into the temple, you were there to worship. If you went in as a priest, you went in to serve. You were standing the whole time. But in heaven it says he sat down, which means his job was done. It was finished. So we see in Jesus an amazing messenger. You look over in chapter 2, and we'll just close by looking at the last, uh, sorry, the first four verses. He says here, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. You know, after an encouraging chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, just saying, do you realize who Jesus is? He is the representation of God. He is God in the flesh. Wow! He's greater than any prophet, greater than any angel. He's the Son of God. You know, sometimes we get used to this. Have you ever seen, lately seen a movie that you liked that had a good story? You know, we all do that, right? We, who enjoys a good story? You know, and you enjoy getting to know the characters, and you, you get to see what they're like. And, you know, uh, we've, been, we've been enjoying some uh, iTunes, uh, you know, uh, videos on this, a series called Gotham. And uh, it's about the beginnings of Batman and all this kind of stuff. Now, you have to have a teenage son to truly appreciate what all that means. But, but my point is that the thing that's really awesome about the show is the character development. They've just exquisitely drawn out the characters. And you see who's going to be good and who's going to be bad. And, and it's, all, it's all right there. And it's kind of fun. You, you don't know when you're going to see a new villain emerge. And uh, there was this one scene in this last episode we watched where this young, like, 14-year-old boy started. He was, he, was, he was acting really nice, and then somebody found out that he'd done something bad, and he just turned all evil. And, you know, he, he started smiling, and we knew it was the Joker, you know. <laughs> but we've never seen, we, they didn't say that we knew. It. That's where this is going. You know, when the char- you see the character, you start to see the bigger picture. We've been given four amazing Gospels. And if you're waiting around for any more, they're not coming. Just so you know. Okay, these are the four. We've got four testimonies of eyewitnesses. Even if one of them is gathered, it's the gathered witness of a number of eyewitnesses, in the case of Luke. And Mark's Gospel, who might most likely be the Gospel he heard Peter preach time after time. But we know Matthew and John 
were the very apostles right there in the very presence themselves, and they wrote it down. But we have four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And we can get so used to that idea that, wow, yeah, it's there. I'll read it if I have some time. Yeah, it'd be great to know him a little better. Do we realize what we're saying? Do we realize that as we get to know Jesus, we're getting to know our Creator? That we can see God? You know, have you ever felt this this thought, show me the Father? I would just like to see God a little clearer. Have you ever had that feeling? See, I've had that. And And we've been given the testimony. It's been... It's been affirmed by miracles. Now, you know, the reason there were miracles as they were doing the preaching is the same reason that there were miracles when Jesus was doing the preaching. He did miracles because he was stating things that could not be proven. So that demonstration of God's power was the proof. If we go through the Gospel of John, and we, I think we've done this a few times before, You can read this in more detail there, but every time the Gospel of John talks about Jesus doing a miraculous sign, it says, the people put their faith in Him. And whenever someone would say, He can't be the Messiah, He's doing this, someone else would say, but how can a sinner do miracles? And then even in John chapter 10, talking about John the Baptist, they said, well, isn't it amazing? Everything John the Baptist said about Jesus is true, and John the Baptist never did a miracle. See, they were still doubtful. Because John didn't back up his revelation with a sign. But Jesus did. When Peter began his sermon in Acts chapter 2, he said, as you all know, Jesus, a man accredited to you by signs, wonders, and miracles. So God used these miracles to make a point. That Jesus was speaking from him. But look over in John chapter 20. John 20, and then verse 30. And this is one of those sort of editorial comments that John makes in the Gospel. In John 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He says at the end of the letter, if everything had been recorded, the world couldn't contain the books. Well, if you're like me, I occasionally wish, couldn't somebody have written a little more? Couldn't there be another chapter? But see, the Scripture's written in such a way, if you just dig deeper, you will learn more. God's Spirit will speak to you through His Word. So it says, Jesus did many other signs that aren't recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. See, what John is saying is, reading my gospel is just like seeing a miracle. Seeing a miracle didn't take away the fact you still had to decide to believe. You didn't lose your free will simply because you saw a miracle. The gospels testify to that. How many people saw miracles and still walked away from Jesus? But miracles gave you a reason to believe. It gave you, if you wanted to believe, then you would, you would believe. That's the scriptures for us today. 
What we, if we want to believe, we can. And the Scriptures give us the right doctrine to believe. And so we've been given four testimonies about Jesus. And that was given with, accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. But you know, now we have the Scripture. And this is our sign. How do we prove that we are speaking the truth? Because what we say agrees with God's Word. That's it. Well, that's not good enough. I don't have anything more. I have nothing more up my sleeves here to prove that this is the truth. God's Word says it. It's the truth. But we need to be, be concerned. Let's just go back and, and close again. Look back in Hebrews chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, we must pay more careful attention. I'd encourage you this week to spend some time in the Gospels. Pay more careful attention. Therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. When you read about Jesus, you just realize how amazing He was. You, may, you see how loving He was, how wise He was, how serving He was. And, and how humble he was, and I could just keep putting adjectives there. You see that the Son of God was amazing. And it builds our faith. And we need to understand, we can't ignore this. This truth is what gives us our salvation. Without this word, how would we know to be saved? Without the testimony of Jesus. And so I encourage you, don't ignore it. Instead, embrace it. This is the truth that will make the journey easier. This is the truth, and we'll see this through the, through the gospel. Jesus has already blazed the trail for us. He's the author and perfecter. He's showing us the way. You think you've got difficulties? Read about Jesus. He he knows our sorrow. He knows our grief. He knows our Heavenly Father. And He shows us how to walk with Him. So let's not ignore it. Let's embrace it. Let's deepen our conviction. God has sent His Son into the world so that we will know Him. If we don't read His Word, how will we know Him? You know, if if we wanted to know Jesus' teaching and He was alive, wouldn't you go hear Him? Wouldn't you go sit at His feet somewhere? And if you could make a tape, wouldn't you listen to it over and over again? This is His words. This isn't just a wise man. This isn't just somebody with a little experience. This is God in the flesh speaking the truth to us. Let's pray together as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father and God, we are excited to walk with you this week. We are excited that we can open up your word and read the inspired testimony of those that saw Jesus face to face, literally. And Father, we are grateful that you've given us the Gospels. I pray that we really see that your, your intention was that we know you and know your Son. That we draw closer to you each day that we meditate 
on His teaching and on His person. Thank you that He wasn't just a messenger, but He actually is the message. Thank you that He's not just our high priest, but He's also the sacrifice for our sins. Father, help us to see that the truth in Jesus is the full truth. And through this truth, we have grace. Through this truth, we have every blessing. Father, help us to see that you haven't promised us an easy road, but you've promised us a road that we can travel with you. We can go along with with you. Jesus walks with us as we follow. And Father, we just pray your blessing on us. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for our time of worship, our time of communion, our time of testimony. Father, pray that we can go through this week encouraged, knowing that we're just in a time right now of the testing of our faith. But we will achieve an eternal glory in Jesus Christ. We will be in heaven if we simply walk with you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.